Let's start with prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, before the first part of Scripture is read, Lord, do we recognize that if we do not trust you, if we are not submitted to you, if our heart is not in alignment with your desires, that, God, we go to a church service and we still don't meet with you. So, Lord, may you meet with us right now in the pages of Scripture. God, we are absolutely dependent upon you to be able to take the words from a page and to make it resonate within our heart in a way in which it's going to bring about transformation in our lives. So, Lord, may we submit to you and trust you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is a statement that Jesus would often give just after teaching a parable or after sharing a very difficult command. It's another way of saying, pay attention, listen carefully. What I'm about to share is too important for you to miss. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's a very similar phrase that is found in the book of Revelation when addressing the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. The text says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, pay attention. Listen carefully. What I'm about to share is too important to miss. When God speaks, we need to listen. Amen? Amen. The question always comes back to, do we have ears to hear? Devotionally speaking, when we go into the Word and we're reading on our own in the presence of God, do we go into the Word with anticipation, expecting to meet with God and to hear from Him in the Word? Do we have ears to hear. Whenever we are in a worship service and the word of God is being proclaimed, or maybe you're in a small group and the word of God is being taught, or maybe you're in a conference and the word of God is being expounded upon, in those moments, are we paying attention? Are we listening carefully? Do we have ears to hear? Hearing from God and specifically receiving God's word is our main focus for this morning. Now, I praise God that at Sherwood, Sherwood has a position, has a belief, has a conviction when it comes to scriptural authority. We teach that the Bible is God's word and we do so unapologetically. We believe and we teach that the Bible is sufficient and complete for life and for godliness. We are not waiting on extra revelation from God. We do not need a 67th book to be written before we can be spiritually mature. Rather, God has given us what we need to walk in godliness with him. So the Apostle Paul shared with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, all scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God and is profitable. That means it is beneficial. It is helpful. And then it lists these things for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If the primary purpose of the book of James is to help believers live undivided lives, and it is, and if an undivided life flows out of walking in wisdom and spiritual maturity, and it does, And if understanding and applying the word of God is necessary for wisdom and spiritual maturity, and it absolutely is, then we need to know how to receive God's word 
how to understand God's word and how to apply God's word. And doing that is about far more than just knowing Bible stories. It's about far more than being able to quote scripture. It's about far more than being able to locate the passage without having to use the table of contents. It is about a person who has such a deep desire to know the word of God that they don't want to just read it for information. They want to live it in every part of their life. It takes a willingness to be challenged by as well as to be changed by the word of God. It takes humility to recognize that we don't know what we think we know sometimes and that we need God's word to reveal that to us. It is to receive God's word is going to be a process of a readiness to listen, a reluctance to speak, and a calmness when we are corrected. A fiercely argumentative attitude is not conducive to receiving truth. And if we're going to be honest, those things that I just mentioned, none of which are strong suits of humanity. That, that is, we don't naturally walk in humility with a teachable spirit and desiring correction and remaining silent whenever we are challenged by truth. We just don't do that. In order for that to happen, we need God to mature us. We need God to do in and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. But listen to this. By God's grace, every bit of that is possible. So here's the question. How do we stay in a receptive state to the word of God. How do we come to scripture with the right posture and the right heart and with ears that are always open and ready to hear what it is that the word of God is saying? Let's allow scripture to answer that for us. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles. Also, you can follow along on the screens behind me. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. I am speaking this morning on the subject of receiving God's word, receiving God's word. It says in verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive. There's that word I'm talking about. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are dependent upon your spirit to guide us into truth. May you do in this service what you choose. In Jesus' name, amen. As previously stated, James is concerned about believers living this undivided life. And whenever I speak of an undivided life, I'm talking about a life of integrity that is consistent between beliefs and behaviors. That is, the person is not saying one thing and then doing something else, but rather they are living what they believe. They are undivided in their lives. Now, the entire book of James, it is teaching the principles of undivided living, but it is doing so by taking those principles and dropping them into different context. And so far, here's what's happened. James has shown believers how to live undivided lives in response to trials. That's found in verses 2 through 12. He also shows believers how to live undivided lives in response to temptation. That's found in verses 13 through 18. And then today, he's going to show believers how to live undivided lives 
in response to truth and specifically receiving the truth of God's word found in verses 18 through 27. Now, if you're looking at verses 19 through 20, and you're wondering, Paul, how in the world are you making that connection back into the word of God? Like, I don't see that at this point. Don't worry about that. I believe we can show it to you in just a second here. Here's the way you have to look at it. All scripture is found in context. That's how we have to read scripture. We have to look at what is the flow of the text and how did we get to where we are in the text that we're at this morning. So if you were to go back one verse into verse number 18, the word of God or scripture is called the word of truth. Then in verse number 21, it's called the implanted word. Then in verse 22, it's just called the word. Then in verse 23, it is figuratively called a mirror. Then in verse 25, it is the perfect law or the law of liberty. The entire context, the flow of this section of scripture is all focused back on the word of God. So in verse number 18, it speaks of redemption through the word. It says that you have been called out, you have been saved, you've been brought in by the word of God. Our redemption came through the word. Now in verses 19 through 21, it speaks of receiving the word. We found that exact word in verse number 21. And then it goes into verses 22 through 27, and it's talking about how to live the word. It says we are not to just be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. You see the, the progression that's happening. It's all focused on the word itself. Now, all of that leads into our key truth for this morning. We just got one big statement, and we're just going to pull it apart in smaller pieces. Here's the key truth. Christians receive God's word through submission, by purity, and with humility. Christians receive God's word through submission, by purity, and with humility. So let's take the first part of that statement. Christians receive God's word through submission. Look at what it says in the text. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, in general, receiving God's word is going to take submission. I say that because we have to desire what it is the word of God is teaching. We, we have to want it. We have to see that it is good, see that it is right, see that it is beneficial. If we are to receive it, it means that not only do we have to position ourselves to hear the word, but we also have to want it to be lived out in our life. And he's going to show you how it is that that takes place. Now, he uses this connective phrase at the first part of verse 19. He said, this you know. It's also rendered in light of what was said. So what was just said? He just said in verse number 18 that God has redeemed us. He has brought us forth. He has saved us by the word of truth. This we know. In light of that, he now talks about how it is that we continue to receive the truth. Now that he has saved you with truth, how will he sanctify you with truth? Now that he has brought you into relationship with himself through the truth of his word, how will he develop and grow you in this relationship through the truth of his word? So here's the first part of that. How do we receive it in submission? We are to be quick to hear. I'm going to list out some connections between disciples and the word of God here, and I believe they're all in your notes. But when I talk about being quick to hear, one of the first things I want to mention is True disciples have an affection for truth and a desire to obey God's word. 
Now, that is not just my opinion. That's what Jesus said. So we're going to reference some passages here. First is John 8, 31. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. I, I love the fact he threw out the word truly. If we want to find out, are we a genuine, true disciple of Christ and not just an admirer of Christ, a lot of that going on, not just a fan of Jesus, there's a lot of that going on, but if you are truly a disciple of Christ, he says, you'll abide in my word. That's Jesus talking. Now it goes on from there, and he says in John 14, 23, and also John 14, 24, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He who does not love me does not keep my words. That is a part of true discipleship is not only abiding in the word of God, but also walking in obedience with the word of God. So this first statement, true disciples have an affection for truth and a desire for God's word, to obey God's word. But let's keep going from there. True disciples recognize that abiding in God's word impacts the effectiveness of our prayers. This is huge. He says, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Listen to the connection. Knowing God's word and knowing God's will go hand in hand together. How do you increase in the effectiveness of your prayers? You pray in alignment with God's desires. It, our, our prayers are not, God, this is what I want, and will you move heaven and earth to make that happen? Prayer should be, God, what is on your heart? What do you want in this situation? And if what you want is not what I want, then God, change my heart to align with yours. And whenever we are praying in accordance with that, here's what he's saying. Those who abide in my word and my word abides in them, just ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. There is a connection between the effectiveness of our prayers and abiding in the word. Now, let me pause here for just a moment so that you know the connection I'm making. If we are to be quick to hear God's word, we need to see the benefits of God's word. Amen. That's the reason I'm going through this list right now. I want you to see why it is that when he says be quick to hear, that should not make any of us want to run away from the word. We need to say, I need every bit of that and then some. So here's the next one. True disciples understand that belief in God's word and belief in Jesus are inseparable. Did you hear what I just said? Belief in the word and belief in Jesus are inseparable. Listen to what Jesus said. Here's the reference. John 8, 37, 43, and 47. Jesus said, I know that you are descendants of, of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Did you get what he just said? To believe in one is to believe in the other. Here's another way of saying it. You don't believe in me, Jesus speaking, because you don't believe the word. If you believe the word, you'll believe in me. Okay, now here's why that's so important. When there are pastors and there are teachers who are saying, you can disconnect the word of God from your walk with Jesus, take Jesus' perspective here. 
He says the two of them are inseparable. The reason you don't hear me, the reason you don't know me, is you don't believe the word. If you believed the word, you'd believe me. Here's another one. True disciples want the benefits that come to those who labor in the word. And this is important. When I say labor, I mean they're diligent in the word. They're studying the word. They're pouring over the word. They're meditating upon the word. This is out of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, it is uncomfortable to be challenged by God's word. It can be hard when we get corrected by God's word. But all of that is a part of training in righteousness so that we may be adequate and equipped for every good work. When we know what the word of God produces, it should make us want to run to the word. There's a reason he said, be quick to hear. We should seize every opportunity to increase our exposure to scripture we, we should read scripture slowly and just soak in the pieces meditate upon the word we should look for opportunities to memorize and to spend time in the word we we should be quick to hear quick to hear quick to hear what it is the word of god has to say did you know it is a privilege it is a joy it is a blessing to not only have the word of god but to also hear the word of god proclaimed and taught it's a blessing. It's one that many people never get a chance for. Listen to this beautiful quote. It says, The sincere, eager desire for such learning is one of the surest marks of a true child of God. When he is specially blessed, he turns to the Word to find passages of, of thanksgiving and praise. When he's troubled, he searches for words of comfort, encouragement, and strength. In times of confusion, he searches for words of wisdom and guidance. When he is tempted, he searches out God's standards of purity and righteousness for power to resist. The word is the source of deliverance from temptations and trials. It becomes the most welcome friend, not only because of what it delivers us from, but also because of what it delivers us to. Glorious, intimate, and loving communion with our heavenly Lord. End of quote. It would benefit all of us to do a personal inventory at different moments along the way and ask ourselves questions like, am I quick to hear the word of God? Am I looking for opportunities to be exposed to the teachings of the word? If not, why? Another one to ask ourselves is, if I don't spend time in the Word each day, do I notice any change in my life? It should be if you are a child of God and you're in the Word and you're spending time regularly in the presence of God with His Word, you will see changes in how you respond, changes in your character, changes in your family, changes in your attitude, all of those things. And when you're not in the Word, you know it. Myself and Bria, we laugh about this all the time, but over 26 and a half years of marriage, we can tell when the other one's not been in the Word that morning. We know there, there's a snappiness about us, and not a good snappiness. I'm talking about like, like cat, like we're, we're after each other. And it's kind of like we just look at each other and like, have you been in the Word this morning? No. 
The Word of God's going to make a difference. It always makes a difference. So to receive God's Word, we are to be quick to hear. Second, we're to be slow to speak. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. How many times do we respond in our words before we have time to process the information? Being slow to speak is a major concern in the book of James. We can tell that based upon James chapter 1, verse 26, and also chapter 3, verse 1. Based upon what you see right there in the text, it would seem as though there were some believers that James is addressing who were accustomed to just saying and teaching whatever happened to come to mind with or without referring to the Word of God. That is a sign of spiritual immaturity. We cannot listen carefully, that's part one, while we are quickly airing our own opinions. That's part number two. How many personal discussions are fruitless because we are looking for an opportunity to put in our thoughts as opposed to actually listening to what the other individual is saying. Now, when we take that idea and we bring it into our study of the Word of God, here's why this is so important. We don't learn what we need to learn because we're not quiet long enough to listen to what he's saying. We go in and we don't, we don't come in and say, I'm looking for a text to prove right what it is I already believe. We go into the word and we say, God, help me to know you. If I'm wrong from what it is that scripture is saying, God, I want what you have more than I want what I have. There's a submission in this. We cannot really hear God's word when our minds are on our own thoughts. Likewise, if we have not taken time to hear from God, when we do get a chance to speak, whether or not that is to friends or family in small groups or churches or whatever the context might be, if we have not taken the time to hear from God, here's what happens. We share our thoughts as opposed to God's thoughts. Now, it's one thing for somebody to say, this is my opinion. When they say that, you already know the source. But here's what Christians are famous for doing. We're famous for taking Bible verses out of context to fit our fleshly desires, and then we drop it in on a conversation. In other words, we're saying, I'm going to sign God's name to my own opinion. That's a problem. That's a part of spiritual immaturity. He's saying, be quick to hear what the Word's saying. Be slow to speak. A loose tongue will greatly affect a faithful testimony. To receive God's word and submission, we're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and oh, here's the last one. We're to be slow to anger. The believer who willingly submits to the word in submission is going to have to also recognize that anger cannot be a part of that process. Anger is almost a universal automatic response when we are not prepared for what comes our way. We get defensive, we get upset, we, we get taken off guard. But let's take that a step further in this. We can get angry and upset along the way, oftentimes because God's word challenges what we believe or what we're doing or the way we're thinking. We don't like being wrong, and we definitely don't like somebody to point out that we're wrong. So when the word of God points out you're wrong, here's what he's saying. 
He said, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. This word for anger, it doesn't refer to explosive outburst of temper, but rather this is an inner deep resentment that seeds and smolders. Often it is unnoticed by others. It is an anger that usually the person and God alone even knows about. Now because of that, this is a dangerous type of anger. You can be in Christian community and nobody else knows you're walking around with anger in your heart towards truth. But whenever we are being convicted of our beliefs and our behaviors, there can be this anger that goes under the surface. There's an inward resentment, not only to truth, but often towards God and towards others who might say, do you know what the Word of God says about that? Here's a hard word. We cannot receive the Word in submission while simultaneously rejecting the Word in anger. We're going to pause here for another moment of prayer. Father, if what we're getting into right now is not being opened up by your spirit, then God, there's anger that's already building just because the truth is being proclaimed. God, may your spirit walk us through this. In Jesus' name, amen. For the person who tries to justify their anger, and that is not uncommon, we often say things like, if you just knew my situation, if you understood everything that I've gone through, if you could just see things from my perspective, then you would know why this passage could not apply to me. For that person, here's what James says. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Personal anger, personal bitterness, personal resentment can never achieve what God is desiring to do in that person's life. Christians receive God's word through submission are those who are quick to hear, those who are slow to speak, and those who are slow to anger. And here's the second part of our big truth. Christians receive God's word through submission, but this next word is by purity. It says in verse 21, first part, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Uh, to receive the word, we must be willing to get rid of, to take off, to put aside all filthiness and all wickedness that remains. Uh, the word filthiness, it refers to any sort of moral defilement or impurity. Uh, listen to this. It's a word that is closely related to a term used of earwax that blocks a person's ability to hear. In other words, when we remove and lay aside the moral filth out of our lives, it goes a long way towards being able to clearly hear and comprehend what the Word of God is saying. Wickedness, it denotes evil and corruption, especially in regard to intent. It, it speaks of sin that is deliberate and sin that is also determined. It, this is a type of sin that many times for months or years on end, is a type of sin that's just sitting under the surface that nobody knows about other than you or God. Basically, here's what is taking place. James is saying, in order for the Word of God to come in, to receive the Word of God the way it needs to be, you need to take off those pieces, take off the filthiness, take off the wickedness, take off the defilements. In other words, get rid of any dormant or any active sin, any sin on the inside or on the outside, any sin that is expressed or any sin that is hidden. The key is lay it aside, get rid of it, take it off. <clears throat> hey, 
How many times do people walk in a state of sin? It is not an issue of the fact, I don't know it's a sin. They know it's a sin. And they're saying, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with it. And you know what happens when we don't deal with our sin? Pride and arrogance and defensiveness comes up inside of us. We get mad at anyone or anything that brings it up because we think that person is attacking us. No, it's not. It is the sin on the inside that is destroying a person's life from the inside out. Here's what James says. If you want to have an undivided life, submit it before God. Get rid of it before God. Take it off. Get rid of the filthiness. Get rid of the defilement. Get rid of the wickedness. Those things are impairing your ability to even hear the word of God. We can't even get on with be doers of the word if we didn't get the word in us to begin with. He says, deal with it now. Get rid of it now. Take it off now. Now listen to this. I usually don't get into a lot of grammar because I don't know grammar well enough myself. But there is a way in which the verb and the participle are in the Greek tense that here's what it is. The action of the participle is understood to precede the key verb. So the key verb here is receive. The participle is to put aside. So here's what he's saying. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness is the condition for receiving the word implanted into your life. Before God's word can produce righteousness in us, we are to renounce, we are to take off, we are to put away the sin that is holding us back from a life of righteousness. Here's the final part of that. Christians receive God's word through submission by purity and with humility. Humility is often regarded as meekness or gentleness. Our receptiveness to God's word, it requires humility. We don't come to scripture in arrogance and pride. We, we come in brokenness. We come in humility we come recognizing that we don't know what we don't know, and sometimes we don't even know the things we think we know. We come and we just say, God, I want your way more than mine. I submit my thoughts before you. Anything that's in my life that is not in alignment with who you are and what you've said, God, remove it. That's approaching it in humility. That is the type of Christian who's able to receive the implanted word. Uh, this word Implant. It, it also is translated as engrafted word. Implant, engraft. Both of them are beautiful. Uh, for the implanted word, it, it speaks of the seed of God's word being dropped into the good soil of the heart. And in time, it's going to yield a harvest. Just know God's word being put in faithfully over and over and over again, it's going to yield a harvest. But then the next part of that is the engrafted word. Some of you know I love to garden. I think I like gardening far more than I'm good at gardening, but I, I like to get out and to work in a yard. And I think I get a lot of that from the family I grew up in. I had a grandfather on my mom's side who was a farmer. He, he loved to be in nature. He loved to work with trees. And he would take a young sapling of one tree, 
and he would take a part of it, and he would take another young sapling of another tree, and he would bring them together, and he would tie string or tie some type of material around it, and he would put them together, and they would grow into one. That's called grafting. And whenever you are grafting different types of plants or trees, you can get unusual results in grafting that you would never be able to get in a natural setting. That is, many times, a lot of your trees that are drought-resistant or pest-resistant or, or they are resistant against disease, it's because they have been grafted with other stronger trees. Uh, some things glorious like seedless grapes. Praise the Lord for seedless grapes. There's things that you get unusual results. So one of the things that he would have is sometimes it would be a single tree, but it would have peaches and plums on the same tree. That's a part of grafting. Here's the thing. By grafting, you get unusual results because of outside intervention. He says, engraft the word in. When the word of God becomes engrafted into our life, now it's one that is coming together. Now it is that there is a type of, of fruitfulness. There's a type of blessing. There's a type of resistance. There is a type of supernatural thing that happens because the two have now become one. It's his word because coming out of every fiber of our being. He's saying, this is how you receive the engrafted word. What a beautiful description of this. James is teaching how it is that we receive this word. Our reception of God's word is essential for us walking in wisdom and walking in spiritual maturity. So here's how we're going to finish. How do we receive his word regularly? Here's just a few of the ways, and, and there's so many more than what I'm about to mention. Read the word of God daily. Spend time in it. Memorize and meditate upon scripture. Study the word thoroughly. Make God's word the first source of help in times of need. Not the last. That, that's, that's not a good path. Sometimes we check everywhere else before we go back to the word of God. Make it the first place that we go. Take every opportunity to expose yourself to the teachings of God's word that are being taught faithfully in a contextually accurate way. And as the word of God is coming in, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. As the word of God is coming in, here it is, live in a state of repentance where you're laying aside filthiness and wickedness so that you can receive the implanted word, which is able to save that soul. So here's a thought that hit me this morning. A lot of what has captured the focus of not only a Christian community, but also of the world right now, especially those who are right here in the U.S., has been sparks of revival that are taking place in college campuses and revival taking place in churches and other areas just across the country. Here's what happens without fail. Revival movements will always have an element where the Word of God is elevated and proclaimed clearly. And when the word of God is being proclaimed and taught, here's what happens. The spirit of God brings conviction. The spirit of God begins to move in hearts. It moves people to repentance. The spirit moves people towards confession. 
When people are now, listen, they're doing what verse 21 says, and that is they're taking off the wickedness. When, they're, when the word of God's pointing out the problems and they're saying, I don't want that, I, I lay it down before, the, before Jesus right now. When people are doing that, here's what happens. They experience God's healing. They experience God's blessing. They experience God's joy. They, they experience reconciliation. They experience gospel-centered transformation. They begin to experience God doing things that are abnormal, things that are different. And it's not because the word has not always been there. The issue is many times we don't have ears to hear what he's saying. Notice what happens in revival movements. When that happens and God begins to address those things, when the sin is removed, joy is there, happiness is there, worship is there, praise is there. And you get a lot of those types of believers in the same room, it's amazing to see what God does. So this morning I was praying today for our service. And here's the thought that hit me. Is there one or two things that might be in the heart of God's people right now that would be standing in the way of a spirit-led revival sweeping through this area? Here's what I don't want to try to do. We don't want to try to manufacture a movement of God. When it's God, we're going to know about it. But you'll often find that there are pieces that precede those movements of God. And a part of that is the word of God is proclaimed and elevated. And when it is, people are responding in obedience as the Spirit leads. So I don't know where you might be this morning. I don't know what might be in your heart, what might not be. There. I, I, I don't know. I'm just going to ask you today as we close out the service, if there's anything that he is convicting you of, that he is challenging you in, that he is calling you to change, what would hold you back from releasing that this morning before him? And getting rid of or taking off any type of filthiness or wickedness so that you were able to receive the implanted word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit move in our hearts. Not in a way, God, that we look back and say this is something that, that in any way is manufactured by people. But God, may we just be those who are serious enough about being in the word that when your spirit convicts, God, we, we respond in obedience. We recognize, God, apart from you doing a work in our hearts, then we come in in one way and we walk out the same way. But, Lord, we recognize that you are more than able to speak directly into hearts of people and show these are areas that, that you're wanting to remove. So, Lord, today as we sing this final song, as we go into this time of invitation, God, may your spirit move in the hearts of your people in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name. If you would, look up this way for just a moment. In fact, go ahead and stand if you would. In just a moment, we're going to have a, a song of invitation. It'll be a final song.
and the altars will be open. There'll be some of our pastors and pastor's wives that will be at the front. There'll be some of our counselors, both men and women, that will come at the front. And it might be that you just want somebody to pray with today. It might be in your life today that you are saying, God, I don't know exactly what it is that that next step needs to be, but I'm open for it. I don't know where it might be. You might be looking for a church home. It might be that God is convicting you that your next step is to follow through in believer's baptism. It might be that he is saying there's work in the marriage that needs to be done. And you might need to grab your wife, grab your husband, and say, let's go pray together. It might be that he is addressing things in your life that are only between you and God. Here's the thing. There's not a single person in this room that there's not something God's working on in your life right now. So don't feel as though if you respond, if you pray that somehow it's going to mean that that there's all these deep, dark things in your life. Listen, all of us on this side of eternity are still dealing with stuff, dealing with the fleshly nature. The issue is just, do we walk in regular steps of repentance? So as this song is being sung, just respond as the Spirit of God prompts and leads you. God, would you have your way in Jesus' name?